0: Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Code 321 Podcast. Today's episode is going to be the resident episode. I have three very special guests joining me today. Chance, Nick, and Noah. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Hey. Pretty good. What's going on? Hey, so, thanks for having us. Absolutely, yeah. So today's episode is going to be about how you guys got into medicine. You guys are currently in what year of residency? Numero dos. Yeah. Number two. years. Awesome. Cool. So we're going to talk a little bit about... How you decided you want to be a doctor, how did you start your path towards being a doctor, and kind of, you know, where you guys are going next, so. Cool, do you guys have specialties picked already? Yes, you we do? are all
1: emergency medicine
0: All EM, perfect, that's awesome, that's great. So Chance, let's just start with you. You want to talk a little bit about, um, when did you first realize you want to be a doctor, and kind of what were your first steps to leaning towards that? Yeah,
2: um, I think we were all a little non-traditional here. Uh, I actually grew up thinking I wanted to be a vet. I grew up on a farm in Iowa. Uh, My only real experience with medicine was when the vet came out uh, on the farm working on the cows and the horses. Uh, I thought it was so cool he could do everything that he needed to do to fix fix anything that was sick. So I grew up shadowing a lot of vets, went to school as a biology major thinking that's what I was gonna do. Um, It wasn't until like sophomore year of undergrad where I started shadowing um, and volunteering more with the medical uh, industry, Um, working with hospice, doing some volunteer work at the hospital. Um, That kind of shifted gears for me. And I thought, oh, you know, medicine would actually be pretty neat. Um, So I decided to start kind of dual applying into both med school and vet school, Um, took a year off to mainly just do some uh, do some fun stuff, travel, um, work some fun jobs out west. uh, But ultimately, I decided medicine was the way to go. That's Chance sweet.
1: you would have been an amazing bovine vet. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've uh, I've uh, definitely done a lot of
2: bovine veterinary medicine at home, but uh, didn't get paid for it. He's not even want to. I know that.
3: Vet, vet school is just harder to get into, so <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: yeah, vet school dropout uh, yeah. into medicine. Yeah, there you go. And uh, Nick, how'd you get into medicine? Did you have like a moment where you're like, oh man, I won't be a doc, or it was just kind uh. of so I actually, I never wanted to be a doctor. My uh,
3: my dad's a doctor. My, like, uncle's a doctor. I'm, you know, I'm n- I'm now just another Jewish doctor. But <laughs> I uh, I wanted to be a marine biologist, and then I got hit by a car in high school, and I had nine surgeries, and then decided I was going to be a doctor. Couldn't after swim, so <laughs> right. I guess I'll do medicine. <laughs> but I, uh, I took three years off after. I, like, I did all the pre-med stuff. I didn't, um, and then I worked in restaurants for three years and traveled and then went to med school.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's, such a common story. I remember I went on kind of a little detour where I thought I want to be an athletic trainer for a while. And there was like 20 of us in this athletic training program. We are going around the room and they're like, okay, why'd you want to be an AT? And it's like, well, I blew my ACL out. Can't play anymore. <laughs> like it's always like an injury that leads towards right. this interest in medicine. So yeah, I,
3: I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon for the longest time. And then I. Saw how much they worked, and I was like, yeah. you know,
2: "I don't want the OR." Also, like life outside of the yeah. hospital. Too. I also hate the
0: OR. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I always uh joke with like my partners on the ambulance whenever we're out in, like the orthopod and like these huge ripped yoke dudes come in. I'm like, "Oh, ortho!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, girl, the boys are here. I know.
3: I got I got mistaken for ortho a couple times in med oh, nice. school. It was like the highlights of med school. Like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no,
0: but thank you. Yeah, <laughs> such a compliment. And uh Noah, did you have some moment where you're like, "Man, I want to be a doc," or hey. did kind of like.
1: Kind of, kind of yes and no. Um, my path, uh, I was always a kid with lots of different interests and I could never pick what, like I wanted to pursue. I also had a marine biology phase, but then I realized <laughs> I became horribly seasick after like five minutes <laughs> on the water. So that wasn't going to happen.
0: Yeah. That's um, going to be hard if you get seasick. Yeah. yeah you got to be yeah. careful about how much you drink, off drink the before you get on <laughs> the boat. Oh, is that how it works?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, No, beginning of college, it was on the list, but then I immediately despised my biology class and everybody in it. So I stayed away from it for a long time. Um, But then after college, I ended up taking six years off. I kind of backpacked internationally for a while, eventually relocated to Southern California and was just kind of dabbling in all my interests and was like a bit of a dilettante. I would like flirt with one area for a few months, flirt with another for another. Uh, I was doing all these things kind of in parallel. And one of those things was volunteering in the local hospital and I just really enjoyed it. I, I also come from a medical family, so I am more familiar with the process and the kind of realistic expectations of the career. And I think that has helped me along the path too. And eventually I ended up deciding to pursue it, but had to do a post-bac and um, ended up being six years before med school after college.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I was never um, really a science kid. Like, for some reason, I I shifted in high school to two different high schools, so I missed, like, the physics and the biology stuff. So, like, the first school did it the second two years, and the second school did it the first two years, so just never quite went that way. And I always wondered, is there some sort of credit that you guys go through in either pre-med or medical school where you guys, it's like your vegetables? Like, is it like biochem or is it... Is there any one that's like really tough to get through?
2: (laughs) For me, it was physics. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I feel like every school, every undergrad program has that like one or two classes. That's like the true weed out classes. Uh, And especially with physics, you know, at that point when you really know you want to do medicine and you start thinking like, how is this related that I need to know how fast a cannonball can fly down at a 45 degree angle. (laughs) Um, So that was tough to really convince yourself through. I feel like some of the other classes like organic chemistry, biochem, you can at least kind of see the relevance, the pharmacokinetics, things like that. So you can, can... Convince yourself, like, all right, I need to know this maybe one day to help some patient out. But physics for me was a little harder
1: to convince myself. And and I'll just, and I'll say, like, I feel like that kind of thought process of dealing with that is something you have to get used to throughout your whole (laughs) education. It's Mm -hmm. like it'll be there in grade school and middle school, it'll be there in high school, it'll be there once you decide your career path. And once you set down your career path, you're still forced to do tons of stuff that is not relevant and you don't enjoy, but you just have to like get through it somehow. I will say that I've learned the Krebs cycle like six times now. <laughs> and and it's forgotten it six right, times. It's,
3: it's never been relevant er, to my career. Yeah, <laughs> right. But if you like,
1: if you like melt down, a lot of people melt down trying to go through that pointless, you know, uh, process. And that's the kind of like their downfall trying to pursue that career path. And I feel like that's pretty salient in pursuing medicine
0: mm-hmm. oh absolutely i know for me going through my school like just through evm and all that stuff if i if it wasn't a topic that i was interested in i just like didn't put any effort into it which was not very uh good for me but um, i know like ems was something where anytime i took an ems course i always got like a pluses and i loved it i, could, I was eating it up like i would wake up like thinking about it and that was that was something um, that was really exciting when I got to take a career in it and I just, I don't know if I could make it through like the cannonball stuff. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think I could do it.
3: <laughs> also, but, it goes up before it goes down. It's chance. Yeah. I just the cannonball? Yeah. The well, cannonball it depends cannonball. how you shoot it. Well, that's true. I
0: guess. <laughs> <laughs> I was just say. Don't bring this back up for me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like the sine coefficient or something, right? Oh man, that's crazy. Nice. So where did you guys all go to medical school? Uh, so for me, I went to the University of Iowa. I did undergrad there,
2: um, took a year off, did the traveling, um, working as a guide out west, and then went back there. It was my state school, cheapest option. Um, for anyone looking into med school, it's pretty expensive, uh, even if you start <laughs> to do your scholarships and things like that. So uh, state school for me was a huge difference in pricing. Uh, oh, I was yeah. close to family, uh, so it was a pretty easy choice for me.
0: That's great. Yeah, Nick, where'd you go?
3: Uh, so I, I went to the university, uh, CU Boulder for undergrad, and then I went to BU Boston university for medical school, which as Chance was saying was probably not the best choice cause it ended up costing me like a hundred thousand more than, uh, Colorado would have cost me, but here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Not <laughs> it's all fake money at that point. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's still fake money. It's <laughs> just a, just a number. I don't know. It's like another hundred thousand dollars in the red. What's, what's the real difference?
1: <laughs> yeah. No, where to you go? I went to UMass med school, which for all med schools is relatively a bargain at like $36,000 a year. But um, uh, yeah, my op- the, like we can talk about the approach to med school and stuff. In some ways, I think that's probably the hardest part of the entire career path. Um, but especially as a non-traditional student, you often have to cast your net very far and wide, and that makes it particularly
0: onerous. Yeah, for sure. I I know we've met a lot of people. Like I was saying, we have some people that go through our programs. that kind of have that, you know, zeroed right in on med school and their whole life from the time that they were like 12 to the time that they start applying is all like geared towards that, like playing the cello. Like they go to like join this (laughs) club, they join that club, you know, and that's just what they do. Like their whole life is building their resume, you know, and I remember when I did my orientation day. At UVM, Like I had no idea what I want to do. I just was like sitting there in the grass and there was like this one kid who was like, yep, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm in pre-med program. Like I'm going to apply it like year, whatever, whatever. Like I got it all set up. And that was his whole goal. Like get it all laid out from, from start to finish. But it sounds like not all of you had that approach kind of like drifted more towards medical schools. Yeah, right? I think
2: I think we're seeing a, a big trend towards that for medical school recruiting and admissions uh, that like non-traditional student. Um, I mean, I only took a year off and I was still one of the younger ones in my med school class. Um, I think they're finding that people with those life experiences, whether they're working EMS or doing something completely non-related, you get a lot more of those life experiences. It's easier to relate to patients. Um, you, you're a little more grounded um, than, you know, sometimes some of those uh, students that just go straight through, and you, you start to see that, that burnout come through already. Yeah, and it's, a, it's a long career.
3: I will also say that, like, once you get into the med school path, like you're you're there, right? Like, because then you're in residency, and then like, and then you're a doctor, and like, you can't really take time off. So I feel like it's I don't know. It's nice to like live some of your twenties. That being said, I feel like working in they didn't like when I was applying for med school, they weren't all stoked that I worked in restaurants and partied and traveled the world. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, that's life experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I said, but... You just got kind of to spin it. You got to use right adjectives. Yeah. To be fair, though, working in a restaurant was the thing that prepared me most for being an emergency <laughs> medicine doctor, sure. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, can I, can I get you anything uh, to drink, Ginger right? yeah. 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 so, ale? I'm so sorry about the weight. No
0: yeah. ice. No ice. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, so, you know, like I said, we have a lot of students That are you know coming up through. We have students from Saint Mike's. We have students from um, you know uh, Northern Vermont University. We have students from UVM, and a lot of them kind of go through our programs because they're looking for a little bit more of that hands-on experience. Did you guys have any sort of EMS experience at all before you went to medical school or got into that process, or you just go right in? I tried. I
1: I tried. Admittedly, I didn't try super hard, but uh, the kind of firefighter EMT paramedic pathway was one I was interested in kind of through high school and college. And I got certified in high school as a basic. And then I got certified again after college while I was kind of reinvestigating the path. And I wanted to get involved, but I was also like I said, I was dabbling in so many other things. I couldn't take a full time position. And the part-time positions where I was at the time were just impossible to find, so yeah. I never really got hands-on experiences. Well. Yeah,
3: I took an EMT basic course, passed the test, and then I then two years later when I went to get certified, they were like, "Yo, homie, you're it's expired." <laughs> 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 so I never quite made it. But I do. I I think that is like the kid. I knew a lot of kids who did do it, and I think it is one of the best like experiences you can have. And I know that like med school or like med schools look favorably on it. Um, Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah, hugely. My my
3: best friend in med school, uh, very non-traditional. He was like in his
2: late 30s by the time he was in med school. Um, he had applied like three other times, never got in, um, but was a paramedic out in DC for years. And he was without a doubt, our strongest student in yeah. med school. He just had all of that clinical acumen. He knew like right away, sick or not sick. Those things you learn as a, as an EMT paramedic for, you know, throughout your training, you know, it's a lot, of, it's really hard to learn like reading a book, but you pick it up a lot kind of on the rig when you're out on the streets and you, it's hard to teach that. I feel like so those students that come in with that experience are just miles ahead in, in
1: regards of that. And even like, not just the clinical aspect of it, it's like dealing with frustrated, belligerent patients that shouldn't be in the system at all. And like Mm -hmm. kind of appreciating that aspect of it and learning how to deal with it, I think is huge.
0: One of the things we always, that I've tried to share with our students is I felt like when I first came out of EMT class, I was just like... I was really much like an EMT first and then like Nick Carson second. So I'd come up to patients be like, hello, like I'm Nick, I'm an AEMT on the ambulance. And like, it was this whole thing. And I realized it almost like dissociates you from the other person because now you're, you're becoming like this title as opposed to a person. Mm -hmm. And after working for, you know, half a decade in Burlington, now, if I go up to someone like, yo, what's up man how you doing you alright you're not breathing okay we'll take care of it and that seems to work so much better for me especially in this type of neighborhood you know or in downtown um, you know like if I go to some college student that's like just had too much to drink which we do all the time if I show up I'm like hello sir like I'm like paramedic Carson like how can I? they're not gonna it's just like another person that's my age they're not gonna respond to that yeah. but sometimes just being a human being and be like listen it's alright like everybody drinks too much it's no big deal like you know just don't throw up on the floor like, yeah. just throw up in the bag. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I feel like all the it's time all good, like, patients don't remember, like, what your name
2: is, who, like, what's your title, but they remember, like, how you take care of them. And yeah. you have that experience taking care of people, whether you're a EMT, a volunteer in the hospital, like, that's just huge experience that you're going to be able to use from day one as yeah. a med
0: student. And I know, you know, when I bring in patients to you guys, especially, you know, the residents and the, you know, the younger docs um, who haven't quite gone through everything yet, um, I can usually tell like right away if you guys are like second years, if you guys have any EMS experience, because there's sometimes I'll bring in, I'll give like a really good report and be like, yeah, they really need to be intubated. Person like, well, what was the blood sugar? And yeah. you're like, they're not, they're not breathing. It's like, no, I know the blood sugar. And you're like, come on, man, like keep <laughs> up with me. Um, whereas I love when we deal with you, you know, second and third years. And then with the uh, people who have EMS experience, because it feels like we kind of just meet on that parallel level. And, you know, I'm obviously not a doctor, but I think it's really got to be an asset to know what's happening before they get to the ER. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, that's gotta be huge. Um, great. So I guess the, the next step would be what does residency look like? So, so you guys are in second year. So what's if you just had to summarize it in like in like one sentence per year? What would you say like first, second, and third year is? There's got to be like a funny analogy for this. <laughs> like First year is like you're farmed out. That's yeah. where you, yeah. you go off to all these
2: off-service rotations. Of course, so. it's a farm for chance. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh, you, you'll work as a, you know. You're a general surgeon for a month. Yeah. You're uh, a, a MICU intensivist for a month. You're mm. really getting a feel for all of the different services out of the realistically,
3: hospital. Realistically, you're a scribe for a year.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a scribe
1: and you have to, uh, you have to play nice in the sandbox. No, yeah. It too. Yeah. You like, like finally oh, wow. made it through
2: the totem pole as a med student and then you get to residency and you're like back to the first rung.
1: Yeah. Um, You'd be
2: like,
0: oh wow, this is so interesting. Thank you so much for showing me this. Yeah, I'm It so is better trying. though. Like
2: the, you can, you put a spin on it. Like how does this affect me as an emergency medicine provider? Whereas yeah, a med yeah. student, you go through and you approach every rotation as I could potentially be doing this for the rest of my life. But finally in residency you know exactly what you're doing you're taking every bit of information you can from that rotation as an intern and using that and thinking about how you're going to use it as a for me an em provider um
3: And then you you get to like put your foot down a little bit more. Yeah. I don't know, like an OB guy. And I was like, I'm not putting in any more balloons. (laughs) The last thing I'm trying to do is
1: facilitate birth. Oh, man. And then second year, I feel like more is about like owning it a little bit, kind of taking responsibility for (laughs) your actions and kind of trying to hit your stride in your own career. What do you guys think?
3: I think so. I feel like second year is sort of like a bell-shaped curve. I don't know if you, I've like, I just recently had the oh shit moment where I'm like, we were like discharging someone I wasn't like completely sure about. I was like, oh God, in one year I don't have like my attending to lean back on. So I feel like third year is going to be like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So there's a lot more, I wouldn't say handholding, but at least not compared to med school. But first year you're, you're not focused on seeing as many patients as you can. You've always got that attending right behind you, kind of overseeing all of your, even your like Tylenol orders, things like that. When you first go through, you're like, what's the dosing for ibuprofen uh, second year, you really start I focusing more. Had on- to question the dose for ibuprofen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't lie to me.
3: <laughs> second year, you
2: really start focusing more on like what we call moving the meat, or you're like seeing a lot more patients, and it becomes a little more stressful because it's not something you really focused on first year. Yeah. Uh, and then now, as all of us kind of rising in the third year, the last year, um, you finally get that like dangerous amount of confidence, but like still not quite at that level where you feel like you can see anything, anytime where yeah. like most EM attendings are going to be able to handle pretty confidently.
0: Yeah, no, I know there's a, there's a doc that I'm sure you guys all know. Um, he's a little short, he's got white hair and he always rips a tie Coke and, uh, <laughs> yeah. I brought in, uh, I brought in a patient recently and the guy's like in respiratory failure or something and I'm giving my report and he walks up and he's like, what's this guy's deal? I was like, he can't breathe. He's like, oh. <laughs> and it's just really funny how like you're talking about that and it just popped in my head of like, he's probably seen that like a hundred times. He's like, oh, yeah. what's this cat's deal okay oh man yep um so yeah so you guys are going to be so what happens after residency what's the next step hopefully you get a job yeah (laughs) yeah it's different
1: for everybody Uh, and that's kind of part of the your role during residency is figuring that out so i personally am looking to stick around i'll probably take on a job maybe do some more additional training in ultrasound
0: nice that's awesome yeah is there such a thing as like a fellowship does that sound familiar Mm -hmm. yeah
2: yeah yeah, so you've got, um, at least for emergency medicine, but really any specialty, you're going to have fellowships. Depending on which specialty you're going into, um, the requirement for fellowships um, is either there or not. So, like, my my fiancé is an orthopedic resident, so essentially all of orthopedic residents go into fellowship. Whereas with emergency medicine, you really don't have to unless you're looking to really hone your niche or go into a certain academic field. So, for me, actually, I'm thinking about a wilderness medicine fellowship. Uh, that would allow me to stick around here for a bit longer and kind of hone that niche that I'm looking into. Um, but a lot of people just want to focus on getting a job, working either in a in a small community shop or maybe something a bit bigger. Um, but it kind of depends on how you envision your career being. And again, what kind of specialty you're thinking about going into.
0: Yeah, we should definitely talk over the show because we just launched a wilderness division. Oh, right? nice. Yeah, hit me up, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get Matt Loofed in there. We'll get all the specialists. Oh, yeah. Do some <laughs> fireside chats. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We <laughs> love fireside chats. Nick, what's your plan, man? What are you going to do? Uh, I'm not really sure. I, I mean,
3: I want to stay, stick around here. So I feel like UVM sort of become a place where you do need a niche and you need like some probably fellowship trained if you want to work at the academic center. I really like regional pain management. So I was started looking into fellowships for that. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the options are for emergency medicine because it's, uh, historically like an anesthesia specialty. Um, but I'm considering trying to do like a, a regional anesthesia pain management fellowship. Yeah, UVM is a pretty
0: cool little spot, as you guys probably all picked up on. I mean, I, I, I'm i not from here. I'm from Buffalo. So when I came up here, it was kind of attractive that you could be, have like a small kind of urban style center and then drive 20 minutes and be like in the middle of nowhere yeah. and go like rock yeah. climbing. Yeah, and yeah, it's amazing. Boating and all that stuff. So
2: It's a great place as a provider, too, just because I feel like a lot of places when you're looking at Uh, training as a resident, there's different types of hospital settings. So when you're looking at where you want to do your training, there's county type hospitals where you're going to see a lot of the underserved population. There's the big academic centers where you're going to get patients transferred in from hours away to see their like unique, special condition, or there's the community shops where you just kind of see your classic bread and butter. Good thing about UVM is that we are all of that in one spot. You know, there is no county hospital that people fall back to that's a safety net. There is no... CVPH is gotten Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there is, there's no other academic spot. So you're the catch-all for everything, yeah, yeah. which is great when you're looking at different training spots to think about where you want to practice.
0: Yeah, I've always said before with our EMS professionals in this area, one of the disadvantages we have is the fact that we have a level one in our district because when you go out to other districts and work other jobs, you have to start making those um, destination designations when you're Mm -hmm. in the field. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, they're having a stroke. Okay, they're, you know, it's a trauma alert or it's a, you know, whatever OB call and you have to start thinking about those. All right, now I don't have an airway. Do I go to the closest hospital? Do I get flight? Do I do this? Do I do that? Um, And for us, like, especially working in Burlington, like, it's so, it's just, like, brain dead sometimes. You just turn and burn up the hill. Like we literally <laughs> tell our new people, like if they don't know where to go, like go uphill mm-hmm. until you start going downhill. and then that emergency. Yeah. Like that's essentially what you do. And, uh, you know, you don't have that pre-hospital, you know, designation stuff. So that's, uh, sometimes a disadvantage, but yeah, it's cool. I mean, you get everything you get, mm-hmm. you do get everything. I mean, you guys have how many beds in the year? 45. Yeah. I think 46. there's more than that with Ward A now. <clears throat> that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So
2: with the pandemic, we've obviously had to do some reshuffling. We've yeah. got some, um, zero pressure negative pressure rooms yeah um, some a lot of overflow we used to have a lot of hallway beds for those really busy days but yeah. apparently hallway's not as
3: kosher anymore yeah when, uh, they, brought <laughs> it, they brought it back on Monday uh, there's some days yeah we where were, it just, when there was 30 in the waiting room yeah and we had yeah. all the hospital like all the yeah
2: and <clears throat> CBPH I was running a trauma in a hallway bed uh, yeah. last week so <laughs> yeah. you kind of you know it's just like EMS you make do with what you have uh, again you know. that's CBPH yeah. so.
0: <laughs> no I love the fact that that's what I love about the ED though is like every time you go in there like especially with a good good charge nurse like stuff comes in it's like hey man you gotta do what you gotta do like gotta do it so yeah Yeah, sort of I feel like it's funny because
3: every every level of care especially like you know I feel like the EMS world is like the wild west and then like you come to the emergency room and it's like the hospital like version of EMS because we don't know what's going on and it's like in a hallway we're just like trying to do stuff and
2: yeah it kind of funnels down I feel like you guys right. get like the truly undifferentiated patient like yeah. when we do our EMS month with you guys I don't know how many times we got called out for a chief complaint that was not that at all when I we know. rolled in and you, you've guys figured out a bit we get it we figured out a bit more um, we hand it off to the hospitals if they need to get admitted and they like keep kind of
0: figuring right. it out if, if you will. Um, and then the I ICU guess. criticizes like everyone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I know I, I always describe it as like EMS is just like dirty street medicine. Like <laughs> I remember I, I was learning my Norepi drips when I was in paramedic school and like they gave me all this weight-based dosing and all this other stuff and the pumps and the GTTs and all this. Mm-hmm. And I went up to the ICU and I was talking to one of the nurses who also like flew flight. She was like, all right, here's what you need to remember. Give them five if you want to just try it out. Give them 10 if they're if they need it nor epi and give them 20 if they're about to die like, there you go <laughs> and i've used that rule on the ammo so many times and it really works we're yeah, like yeah that's great same thing when uh i i was learning like propofol And I didn't really understand what it does because we don't really use it pre-hospitally that much. And that same nurse was like, here, I'll show you. And she goes over she like shuts it off. The guy like wakes up a little bit and she turns it back on. It passes right out. She's like, (laughs) "Short half-life. Like Like, that's what I learned the best is that type of teaching. And I really enjoyed, um, you know, obviously in EMT school you do like it's like 20 hours of clinical AEMT school. You do like 50. Um, and in paramedic school, I did like 760. Wow. So it's just so cool. Like we got to go to the cath lab and see them like put a stent in and watch the an EKG like come right back to mm. like isoelectric. And I was like, oh man, that's really cool. Yeah. And that's <laughs> where I learned the best. You know, so that whole cannonball thing is just my nightmare. Well, <laughs> and
2: really that's, that's med school and residency as well. Like, you know, you spend four years through med school learning all of these very discreet Minutia of, you know, pharmacokinetics and how each drug and interacts with everything else. And then you get to residency and depending on which specialty you're in, you realize like, all right, this is what I really need to know. You yeah. know, you're not like sternal rubbing someone to ask what they
3: weigh in kilograms. Yeah. You know? I mean, when he says you learn it, you can answer a multiple
0: choice question based on it. And that's yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah
3: right.
0: <laughs> oh man, that's, I got, I got to imagine it's similar to like EMS when you do all this training in the classroom and then all of a sudden you hit the street and like someone's just lying there and now you're like... Uh, all these multiple choice questions aren't yeah. working. Dixie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. All right. You guys have any uh, final words? So, you have a young buck who wants to go to paramedic school. Any advice? Wait, go to paramedic or med school? Med school.
1: I mean, I would say like um, a couple of things. One thing is it, the whole testing and academic side of things is one. But then when it comes to interviews, like if you've made that leap and you've, you've reached that stage of interviews, I think it's super important to have like some library of patients you've seen and impacts it has made on you. So I don't know if you, if if your listeners are working, I would encourage them to, you know, just jot down a few notes after like every week of the most kind of meaningful patients and keep them as like a Rolodex to, to pull out when you want to think about answering tricky questions on interviews. And then the other thing is um, just in general, especially me with me taking like more time off, um, I kind of had to spend a little while figuring out what my like story arc was. And when you're in the process, you can't see your own arc, but it's only when you look back, you kind of have to tease it out to realize, oh, okay, I did this because of this. And then that led me to this. And this kind of makes sense now. And then once you make that story arc, you're a much more memorable and kind of meaningful applicant.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. And like, sometimes yeah. you just have to fake the story arc. <laughs> <laughs> so I think of it less as faking and more as like,
1: you have to figure out how it all makes sense. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> When it may not immediately so be apparent. I was like,
3: waiting tables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, I agree 100% with what Noah's saying. I think. The things that, like, they want to see that you're a human when you're interviewing. And if you can be like, I had these patient interactions and they actually affected me. I know, like, I was, like, interacting, I was volunteering as an HIV test counselor in Boulder. And I, like, wrote about that and that's why I got into BU. Like, mm-hmm. that was, like, 100% why I got an interview, 100% why I got in. So I think you need those stories, like Noah was saying, that make you a human, that, like, you can show, like, actually had effect on you, that, like, changed the way you want to practice medicine. And then I will just say on the academic side of things, as much as we joke about, like, you don't want to answer the cannonball questions, like, if you do want to go to med school, you also have to get an A in that class, so... Just keep that in mind. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of like just
2: putting your head down um, and like driving through it. Uh, It's doable, though. I mean, we've all done it, so clearly it's doable. If Um, I can do it, you can. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, exactly what Noah was saying. I think, you know, especially a lot of the listeners on this podcast, the big thing, med school admissions, people want to know is you know what you're getting into. And people who have been out on the streets taking care of patients, they know what medicine's about. And I think being able to explain that in admission is going to put you so much higher up than other people just because you know exactly what medicine is. It's not that like, oh, my grandfather was a physician and he told me like from day one I was destined to be a doctor. No, it's like I've taken care of patients like I know what it's like. And I think that's
0: really going to get your get your leg up in front of a lot of other people. Yeah. And I think there's definitely those kind of there's overlap between paramedicine and street medicine and, you know, medical school. Like you guys have obviously demonstrated with EM, but I've also run across people in my career who, don't necessarily fit in EMS just with the way that they're built and what they handle well and not well, but they're phenomenal physicians. You know, Mm. I have a few folks. I remember one particular individual that went to a bad call and just like completely froze up and broke down and couldn't process information, couldn't do that. Um, but now they're just a primary care physician and they do a great job and mm-hmm. they get, you know, I think they enjoy being able to just, you know, lock up the shop at 5 PM and mm-hmm. go home. And as you guys know, that's not really the case with EM. Like you might walk in and be sipping your coffee and have to innovate immediately. Like it's yeah. just, it is what it is, you know?
3: So well, I will I mean, say there's sort of a personality. like, I think the one thing before I sort of like went to med school and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, is like, just when you're looking at medicine, you think all doctors are the same, but realistically, like there's so many, there's such a spectrum of like personalities. Like, I mean, I know all of us are EMs, so like we probably all liked our like Mickey rotation and like the sick patients, and the patients are crashing. And you see these internal medicine patients who are, are like internal medicine residents who just like want nothing to do with it, right? Yeah. Like they're going into endocrinology, they want to like think about glucose and they yeah. they <laughs> control diabetes. Yeah. So, like, there is something for every personality type in medicine. Yeah,
0: yeah that is cool. Well, guys, well, I really appreciate you being here. Hopefully, uh, the listeners can pull something valuable from this, but thanks for being here. You bet. Yeah, thanks thanks. Hi, Nick.